1: From reading
2: about this event, it is the practice on most, but not all, occasions for this
3: family's event to be attended by the serving Pope. So can we take it that there's a good chance that he will be here, all being well, in three years' I, I time?
4: Think I
3: mean, obviously had, you know, he's, he's 78, and he's determined, I think, to see that next world meeting of families through that be in Ireland, but that's too early to say
5: that yet. It's potentially three years away, but speculation about Pope Francis visiting Ireland in 2018 is rife. Do
3: you think he'd like to come? Oh, I think he would,
5: yes. Some people, like Father Cahal Devani in St Peter's Parish in Drogheda, are very excited at the prospect. Oh, Oh,
6: wouldn't that be brilliant? That would be the most amazing thing if Pope Francis came. I think it's just wonderful. I think it would be A blessing for everyone, for those who are Catholic and those who aren't. I can't wait for him. Oh, it would be brilliant. I would be so excited. I'd be like a child. It would be like Christmas all over again.
5: The idea of the Pope coming to Ireland stirs up all sorts of memories. Huge crowds. Inspiring speeches.
7: Young people
8: of Ireland. I love you.
5: And a general feeling of well-being throughout Ireland.
8: I think it was.
5: I think it was the best day in Ireland. Never be like that again. But in one small corner of Ireland, the idea of a papal visit stirs a very different memory ragwort. That's right, the yellow poisonous plant that can kill animals, a noxious weed that's illegal to have on your land. So when the rest of the country thinks of the man in the red shoes, some of the people of this place, the townland of Killinear, think of a yellow weed. And when they're thinking of the Pope and Ragwort, the year they're thinking of is, of course, 1979. Roller disco, roller, ah, roller when Frisbees and roller discos were the latest craze. And Ireland's young people got a new radio station.
3: This is RTE Radio 2. And to present Pop Around Ireland, here is Larry Gogan. Thank you very much
4: indeed, Brendan, and welcome
3: to the first show
4: on Radio 2.
5: The country was plagued by industrial action and fuel shortages. I'm here
8: half past nine this morning trying to get petrol now. We're walking around in the rain since a I quarter eight this morning. Lord, we'll to we're at the walk and see us around.
5: And the troubles in Northern Ireland escalated.
1: The policemen were in a Land Rover driving along the Millvale Road between the outskirts of Newry and the village of Besbrook. The bomb, which police say contained about a thousand pounds of explosives, was detonated by remote control.
5: And, of course, it was the summer that most of the country was getting ready to welcome that very special visitor.
7: With immense joy and with profound gratitude to the most holy trinity that I set foot today on Irish soil.
5: A year after his election... Pope John Paul II decided that he would visit three countries, and that Ireland would be one of them. It was a different time, before the scandals that radically shook the church's place in Irish society, when the church was revered by so much of the population.
2: I the whole country went absolutely kind of on a high. The pope's coming to Ireland first time. It was massive, big
5: news. At the same time, 36 years ago. In Killineer, close to Drogheda, County Louth, Terry Grant, his wife Paula and their young family had just built their house and were starting off as dairy farmers.
2: We had a farming background. My father was a farmer, dealt in cattle and farming all his life. So this was the farm that we got to run ourselves. We were 30 years of age at the time, so we had to do a right good job at the right time of our lives and build a good house, build a good farm.
5: Killinear is small, a rural area about a mile and a half north of Drogheda about 20 miles south of the border with Northern Ireland. Where Terry's farm is once would have been the main road from Dublin to Belfast. So,
2: this is the front of the farm here. The land was here, just the land, and then we built the house. Took a while to get it all together, obviously. And, uh, you know, with the planting and all that. All our kids used
1: to ride and we all rode ourselves.
5: Terry's son Julian was four in 1979. It was
1: a lovely open farm, and you know we grew up with the ponies and, and whatnot. So uh, having a good gallop around the field was always enjoyable because, it's, as I said, it's a nice big field. So yeah, it's, it's, it, was a great, it was a great place to grow up.
5: And because of the twists and turns of the politics of the time, this family in a small rural part of Ireland accidentally became hosts to a very, very large number of people.
1: I would have been four years old at the time when the Pope arrived, so my memory is reasonably vague.
5: Archbishop Dermot Barton believes that if the current Pope does come to Ireland, visiting Northern Ireland will be a priority for him.
3: I, I think the event will take place not just in Dublin, but uh, in, in other parts of the country. And certainly if the Pope comes to Ireland, he'll want to go to Northern Ireland also.
5: Back in that summer of 1979, while Terry was planting up the farm the plans for the Pope's visit were being hastily made. He would visit Ireland for three days and would go to the official sites in the Phoenix Park, Limerick, Galway and Nock. And the Pope of that time also wanted to visit Northern Ireland to try to make some contribution to progressing peace there.
9: It was the sole purpose of his visit, I think, was to come, not necessarily here, but to come and visit Armagh, or visit the north.
5: Dennis Brodigan is also a farmer in Killineer. He was a dairy farmer in 1979. Now he farms free-range eggs. Hello, Patsy. Hello, Eddie. And a couple of other friendly animals.
9: Whoever the powers would be that decided that he was coming, they must have had an unmerciful headache to say, how are we going to handle this?
5: The State Archives of 1979 were released at the end of 2009, revealing some of the wranglings about where the Pope might visit and that they did indeed have a headache on their hands.
2: Now let's talk about the event to which anybody who is alive will remember, whether you were in the Phoenix Park or in Galway Racecourse or wherever, these huge events attended by uh, hundreds of thousands. Is there much in the archives about the
9: build-up to that and the concerns for example, about whether that visit would be to North and South or to the South only.
4: There's reports from the British Embassy to the Holy See. The ambassador, the minister there, was sent to uh, see if there's any truth to these rumours that were going around around June of 1979. And he spoke to people in the Secretariat and they said there was no question of them going, of the Pope wanted to go north of the border. But there was pressure from the Irish hierarchy on him to do just that. So it began to firm up as a possibility and even a probability that the Pope would seek permission. And uh, obviously Paisley was very much against it. And no told, Pope here (laughs) no Pope here and told Margaret Thatcher that uh, the situation would be like they'd be like sitting on a powder keg and he couldn't be responsible but from the start
2: the British were saying
4: to the Vatican don't come they were it's interesting to watch it because in diplomacy one doesn't say such a thing one uh, hints the British said that if a visit north was in the nature of perhaps a, a helicopter trip to the graveside of Cardinal Conway to pray for peace and then back across the border that that might not be an insurmountable security problem but if it was a public appearance on the steps of Armagh cathedral, it could be a complete and utter disaster.
5: Father Cahal Devaney, now working in Drogheda, is originally from Armagh. As a child in a working class area of Armagh City he was looking forward to the Pope's visit.
6: He would galvanise perhaps the nationalist community which he would have, but he would have in a way for stronger voice for peace and certainly the loyalist community would have been extremely opposed things were so complicated then the political mess in in the north as a child growing up you would see the brutality and you'd see how we were hemmed in and you know when the army come in and they throw the stuff out of your house or someone gets shot it was difficult and and that's I suppose that goes back to why to me anyway even as a child maybe it was a little bit idealistic the man dressed in white would bring a little bit of sunshine into such a dark, dark time.
4: There was an increasingly hysterical exchange of notes among officials and one was writing, uh, imagine what would happen if a busload of schoolchildren got blown up or, or, or on their way to or from a uh, Papal Mass. So they, I, I think they were probably right to have, uh, have concerns about the uh, security implications.
5: Meanwhile, it was early August and Farmer Terry had his own problems that summer. Back to that noxious weed...
4: We got an attack
2: on the farm of Ragworth. Ragworth is that poisonous weed, the yellow weed, that comes in August and you are not allowed to leave it on the farm. You have to get rid of it. And it's a really difficult weed to get out of the ground. You'd see it on roadsides and on neglected farms and the last thing we needed to be was a neglected farm. We wanted the place pick and span. It was a terrible blight on the farm, which was, uh, we got from across the road. It came from uh, the west wind, took it in, and suddenly we got it. So it's kind of a thing that you have to get rid of. So it was action stations. I rang up the local contractor, Dan Flynn, from just up the road here, and I said to Dan, how do you get rid of that rag? what's well, it's terrible on the farm. And he t- explained to me that you'd have to wait till February to spray it. I said, how much will that cost? He said, that'll cost about 200 quid. Right, okay. And uh, I said, is there any other way around? Because we didn't really want to wait six months. And he said, well, the only way, Terry, you could do it is you could actually cut it, but you have to take it away and burn it. But that would cost 800 pounds. So it's a bit of a difference, he says. So have a word with your wife. See what she wants to do and you want to do. So we decided we would get it cut and get it burnt. And the place would look magic because like a parkland then, like a golf course, ragwort gone, all burnt and place looking really special. So my father, who was a very experienced guy, was driving past and he said to me, uh, he rang me up, he said, I see you cut the ragwort. And I said, I oh, did you? Yeah. And he says, you know, you're not supposed to cut the ragwort. I said, I know that, but it's cut and it's burnt. Oh. And he said, you know, you're supposed to wait till February to spray it. I said, I know that, but there's an option Instead of spending 200 next February, we spent 800. You spent 800? Oh, my God, he said. You must be flush. And I said, well, you know, that's the way it was. Hmm, I wouldn't have done that myself, he said, but anyway, there it is. Anyway, you've done it, so anyway, uh, I got a little rap on the knuckles for 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 the way I went about the farm. In
5: 1999, Derek Mooney's documentary on the occasion of the 20th anniversary of the Pope's visit featured Bishop John McGee who was Pope John Paul's private secretary at the time of the visit.
3: The visit of the Holy Father initially included a visit to Armagh. The plan was already there. Every detail of the visit of the Holy Father to Armagh was, was fixed.
6: Even as a child, i kind of pictured what it would be like. He would be outside St. Patrick's Cathedral in Armagh and all of the the embankment would have been filled with people, not it was a child's dream more than anything. <laughs>
3: but then, unfortunately, the killing of Lord Mountbatten changed all of that.
5: The nail in the coffin of any visit to the north for the Pope came on the 27th of August.
8: It was just a normal Moor day. It's a quiet seaside place. Nothing very exciting ever happens here. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, this happened in Moor. I certainly will remember him as I last saw him on Sunday outside the house. He was going fishing with his daughter, Lady Patricia, as a gentle old man. He wasn't bothering anybody.
5: The murder of Lord Louis Mountbatten came just hours before the biggest attack on the British Army in the history of the Troubles.
7: 20 minutes and 300 yards separated two huge explosions which claimed the lives of 18 soldiers in the most devastating attack
1: The army have ever
7: suffered
1: here the 18 deaths make yesterday the worst single day of violence in the north since the present wave of troubles began
3: and that was in fact the holy father said at the time to me now is the time above all to go and be with those people who suffer but then security advised that he would not go to armagh at that particular time and that there
6: might be another occasion
5: Father Cahill and his family in Armagh were some of the people who felt that loss.
6: Oh, we were deeply disappointed. I mean, it was a, a great yearning, a great hope, a desire. It was like Christmas that was coming and didn't come. The birthday that never happened. It would have meant so much. He was such a champion of peace. And I know that um, for my parents and for many, and I grew up in a working class area, um, he meant so much. And his words meant a lot. And even though I was only eight or nine years old, I think it was a loss for everyone that he didn't go. It's easy to say no, nothing would have happened, but it was very different back then. There was a tremendous hatred, unfortunately, in both sides of the community. And he would have been a high-profile target.
5: Not everyone was disappointed. Sean Whelan has been sacristan in St Peter's Parish in Drogheda for 53 years. He was 36 at the time.
10: Uh, so I was out in, in in the golf club, and the news came on at six o'clock and it says uh, it has been announced by the Vatican that the Pope is not visiting Armagh. He's not crossing the border. And I said, hooray, I knew immediately what well, great he's coming to Drahana, which turned out to be right.
5: It seems that the clergy had already been looking for alternatives because it was a week or two previous to that that Terry got an unusual phone call.
2: It was in early August of 79, a week or so after we cut the ragworth, I was sitting in the office and I got a phone call that, uh, if you like, changed the, uh, the aspect of the farm. The secretary said to me, a Monsignor Lennon wants to come in to see you on a matter of international secrecy. He was the local parish priest and uh, he was uh, obviously a man to around town Well, my goodness, I said, what does he want now? What's he going to tell me? Because, you know, he was kind of a man that he wouldn't say too much. He had no idea what he was going to say.
5: It turned out that Terry's dad wasn't the only one who had spotted the ragwort cutting.
2: Half an hour later, he arrived down the office... He had a big solemn face in him, he hadn't got much of a sense of humour but anyway, he was a man of ability and all that so uh, he came into the office and said to me now he says, this is a matter of international secrecy I, said, I appreciate that and he says, you know the Pope is coming to Ireland I said, I do, I heard all that, of course, everybody knows that and he's coming next month at the end of September, that's correct so then he proceeds to tell me that uh, I can tell you now, he says that we've made a decision, I said, who's we? the cardinal and myself have made the decision that he's not going to go to the north of Ireland for security reasons, I see, but that he's going to come to Drogheda. I said, oh, that's very interesting. And are you going to bring him to the uh, Gaelic grounds? Are you going to bring him to the park downtown? No, he says, "Uh, we're not going to do that. This is what we want to talk to you about. We saw you cutting the ragwort last week. Yeah, saw me cutting the ragwort. Yeah. And it looks, the place looks palatial and really parkland. I said, yeah, it is, yeah. And he said, you know, we were thinking that if you agree that we were going to ask your permission to use your farm for uh, the uh, event to host the Pope in Drauda. You're joking, I said. No, he said, I'm not joking.
5: Although Terry's farm is south of the border, It's still technically within the border of the Diocese of Armagh.
2: I suppose when they got the decision that he wasn't going to go to North Ireland, they were looking around. Then They didn't know what they were looking for, but they were looking for something. And suddenly they saw this place looking like a parkland. Fine, there we go.
5: This was no ordinary gathering that the Monsignor was asking Terry to host in a mere six weeks' time. Before the Pope came, nobody had any idea just how many people would turn up to see him.
2: I said to the Monsignor, how many uh, do you think... I have no idea. He says, maybe 30,000, 40,000. No idea, but the Gaelic Grounds won't do it, so we want a bit of a space. He says, but I have no idea. But he says, you know what? We just don't know. We haven 't a clue how, but we 're going to cater for it all and uh, just see, just see what 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 we can do with it, but anyway, he said to me, "Are we done i said we certainly are we shook hands on it and he says i i'll i 'll uh, tell the cardinal i said i 'm sure you will that was the matter of international secrecy.
5: Farmers around the area, like Dennis Brodigan and his brothers Charlie and Brian, started to notice stirrings in the neighboring fields
9: It was certainly kept top secret because obviously the owners of the land were notified but People around here—it was just uh, it was talk. It was just talk at the time. It was such a surprise to, to hear that he was going to come to the neighboring farm, more or less, just
2: across the hedge from where we were. We didn't believe that it was going to happen. I rang up my father and I said to him, "Oh, by the way, uh, are you having your lunch today?" I said, "I'll join you for lunch." Okay, so we did, and I said to him, "By the way, uh, you know the Pope's coming to Ireland." I do. He says, "I I heard that," and I said. I'm in a position, I said, to introduce you to the Pope. Yeah? You're joking. Well, there you are. If you don't want to be introduced, that's fine. That's your choice. But uh, be at the House at 5 o'clock on the 29th of September and don't be late because I'm meeting the Pope there that day and I'm going to introduce you to him. That's that's if you want to turn turn up. But he thought that was a bit of a joke, you see. And I left it at that. So he. He didn't pass any more remarks during the lunch. He just thought it was one of those jokes and fine. So there was nothing said or anything after that. And then uh, the afternoon I went back to the office and uh, it was on the news at six o'clock. News now about the Pope. The Pope is not going to the north of Ireland. He's going to uh, Drogheda and he's going to the farm of Terry Grant. And there was a photograph of me and the Monsignor uh, outside the house here. And my father was looking at the news And the phone hopped. He says, I thought that was a joke. He says, no, no, it's not a joke. I said, by the way, do you still want to meet him? Absolutely. He says, I can't believe that this is happening. There it is. I said, there it is. That's what's happening.
9: I remember us mowing grass down the the bottom fields in late August or early September. And this construction started. And we were saying, what on earth is that? And obviously, there's a visit on the cards, you know, but... uh, Certainly an army of people came in in early September and it just grew. We didn't really believe, well, I suppose we didn't take it that seriously until the actual work on the site started.
2: We'll get a view here. I'll just drive up the road and you'll see it from above us. This field and then the next field is the Pope's field and then it's the view down to the road.
5: Do you still refer to
2: it as the Pope's Field? Oh, God, yeah. It's in, the, it's, it's, it's in the map, yeah, it's the Pope's Field, yeah. Do you see the elevation? They were on top of that hill. Do you see where the uh, the pole is in the middle of the field, up there? Yeah. But that area is a little plateau up on top, and that's where the podium was built. So everybody's down below here. That hedge was cut down in the middle, and so that everybody had a, a full view. So everybody had a view.
5: The rest of the country had had months to prepare for the Pope's visit, but for this site they only had a few weeks.
2: It was a very intense time, so the next six weeks were dealt in massive preparations for to get the place ready. The contractors moved in straight away to get the altar built, or the podium built where he's going to make his speech, and they had to build a little underground in underneath the altar. Facilities for the Pope himself for changing, his changing room, his cloakroom and all that, and then all the electrics and fax machines and Television cameras and wires and public facilities all, all had to be done. The army were involved for putting up barriers. Well, they called them corrals. There had, to be,
10: there had to be roads put into the field. Hedges had to be cut down. And to think that in less than 18 days that the post and telegraphs, as they were at that time, had to haul a cable from the post office in West Street and two miles out into a field two miles outside Drada and put in a communications system that could communicate instantly with the entire world in a field.
2: The carpet guys were there, just carpeting everything that they saw. Everybody was hands on deck. and uh, So it was a major event that had to be done in six weeks, which they had to do, and they did it.
5: Even though the event had been moved south of the border, there was still intense worry about the security situation.
9: We're only sitting about a mile and a half from Drada, So I suppose he wanted to visit the Diocese of Armagh uh, and be associated with that. And I suppose this is probably as far as they were willing to go at the time from a security point of view. I, I know there was a huge security presence between Gardaí and soldiers. We would have seen them for weeks beforehand, probably doing what they do on a recce, checking everything out, living here. We would have seen it, and I'm sure they considered it a huge threat. There there could have been a
2: huge threat, huge security threat, but it was well looked after. All the wires were done for security, lights. So we met so many people during that time, including Bishop Marchinkus. Now, Bishop Marchinkus, now, he was a man from Chicago. He was the security chief for the Pope. So you didn't really feel you were dealing with something of religious matter, it was security. So one day he flew in his helicopter and I met him and he said to me, uh, where are the plans? And the architect, the local architect, he had the draw plans drawn up. We're looking at the plans and he was said to the architect, there's the podium, that's fine. There's where the Pope is going to be, that's fine. And who are those people in those, that drawing just there, um, 25 yards away? We, uh, the architect said, they are the uh, invalids of Drauda, right. The such order. Now, see, uh, the bishop doesn't think they're invalids at all. He thinks there's, you know, there could be anybody. So he says, no. He says, I don't agree with that. Get them back. He says, don't let them see the pope that easy. We thought this was most unusual that he wasn't agreeing that they were invalids, that they were, but he was thinking from a different aspect. He was thinking security. Didn't want too many people, so near the Pope, so they had the plans had to be redrawn and get them back. He says, get those guys back! I thought that was most unusual. Anyway, that's, that was Bishop Archie because he, he was a character.
10: You can see some of the photographs there now and you can see farmyards in in the background and there could have been tractors there or anything like that. He wanted all those removed in case somebody would be, snipers would be hiding in them. And the army had to go out that morning, uh, I think I don't know if from about... Uh, four o'clock in the morning and they had to comb the whole area uh, um, probably a radius of maybe about one and a half miles to make sure that there was absolutely nothing should go around.
2: Of course it was disturbing but that was irrelevant in the, in the sense of the overwhelming enjoyment we're getting out of the whole thing but it was madly exciting and it was a great honour. It was a massive turn in our history as such.
5: It was also exciting for the Drahda sacristan Sean Whelan who would have the job of getting everything ready for the Pope's service and for the thousands of people that started the journey to the field the night before.
10: We're coming from about nine or ten o'clock the night before. And a lot of the people that came from the north of Ireland, they would have got the train which only had brought them as far as Dunlear. After that they had to walk from Dunlear then to the site in Killinalear, which probably was about five or six miles. And uh, we were down the town in a pub on the road up to Killinalear, and at that time, at 10 o'clock, half ten night, people were making their way out to kill in the air. And there wasn't a sound out of them. It was like they were on a pilgrimage. Uh, it was so, so rever- reverent.
5: Kitty O'Sullivan lives across the road and is reminiscing with the Bradigan brothers. I looked out oh. the window at half one in the morning
8: and I was afraid of me, like,
5: I must have no faith at all.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I
8: mustn't, because... I said, oh, God bless us, I hope there's not a bomb or something... Those searchlights are all going through the through the print and the people coming down the road here, down the road. Down the road. I know blesses yeah. That was very early, wasn't it?
2: The day before we'd organized a party in the house for a lot of friends yeah. supper party, so I think there were about thirty people here. And unfortunately we had a late night. Have to say that. The party was liquid. We did serve food as well. We were all kind of uh, in a sense of high excitement. We, we knew that the next day was going to be a big day in our lives, but unfortunately it went on a bit late. But we were on a high and we just felt it was uh, a magic day. Anyway, we <laughs> we were up the next day and felt in ding-dong form because we had something special to do that day.
5: On the morning of the 29th of September, Pope John Paul touched down in Dublin Airport.
10: The Swiss Army had two fighter jets escorting the Pope's plane from Rome until it landed in Dublin. And when it landed in Dublin, they just veered off and headed back home. Nothing was allowed to fly in the fly zone over Ireland at all. Their instructions were, if anything appeared in the sky that shouldn't be there, it wouldn't shut shot down. He descends from the Erlingus flagship St Patrick
3: and his first act is to greet in symbolic gesture the people and the land of Ireland.
2: Next morning, the morning of the Pope coming, we woke up a bit late, looked out the window, and there were crowds outside. my God, they're here already. Oh, my God, how many people are going to come? We hadn't a clue how many were going to come. Anyway, we had to go down, get the gates open, get the place, get ourselves ready for the morning. And from then on, it was just a massive stream of happy people coming to see the Pope. There were no cars allowed within a mile or two of the site because of traffic. And it turns out that the Monsignor's estimate of 30,000 was wrong. 300,000 people arrived. 300,000 people arrived to see the Pope. It was just quite incredible.
1: It's a sign of the change in the times that people walked, and I have met and spoken to people that walked from the very far side of the road that might have walked 8, 9, 10 miles to it, and what we would call today fairly tough circumstances to get to and go back from it in fact i spoke to one guy who told me that he fell into one of the ditches he actually fell into a septic tank a temporary septic tank but just plowed on regardless because it was a big day for him as well and for most people that people kind of put aside the hardship of getting there and just wanted wanted to be there for what was at the time a very historic day As it turns out, it was a
2: brilliant, warm autumn day, uh, late September, 29th September, and the event was absolutely incredibly well-organised. People They brought their lunches, they brought their drinks. They were so, so well-behaved, and the time was to be 5 o'clock.
5: On another warm September evening, the 29th of September 2015, just up the road from the field, the annual prayer service to commemorate the visit is taking place, led fittingly by a Polish priest, Father Maciek Zakarek. So we can be
6: together brothers and sisters this evening,
9: this anniversary of the visit of
1: the 2nd in Droghia. So, we can start with the sign of the cross...
5: 36 years later, local people like Farmer Enda Hayden have come along to mark the occasion. <laughs>
7: At the time, we had a big farmhouse, sheds with cattle. And as usual, every morning we go down to feed the cattle, myself and Jerry, my brother. Down we went this morning anyway, and what was round the sheds, only soldiers, the army, and we were asked all the questions of the day. Where are you going? What are you doing here? I actually said, what are you doing here? <laughs> You're on my land. <laughs> I'm down here to feed me cattle. <laughs> so they laughed and I, I'll walk away, they said.
5: Of the hundreds of thousands of people that started turning up at Terry Grant's field in Killineer, a huge number travelled from the north. But not everyone could make it. Father Carl Devani's family couldn't stretch to the trip.
6: Coming from a working-class background, the idea of having a car was a novelty. My dad worked in the factory, my mother worked cleaning the school, cleaning homes, and they were very hard workers. But they were paid next to nothing, and we understood that. I hoped that we would go along, and my father, he had a motorbike. <laughs> and so maybe we'd get on the motorbike and go down but then there was my two sisters and they're older than I am and my mother and it wouldn't be fair although kind of secretly I hoped they'd still go <laughs> but in the end we didn't go
5: while everyone waited patiently in Terry's Field in Killineer there was a party atmosphere at Phoenix Park
2: here's Julian aged
1: four, walking to use the Pope's private bathroom. I, being a four-year-old, needed to use the restroom. Just before the Pope arrived,
2: Julian got out of his little chair and he had his little little papal flag.
1: We were too far away from the house. He got past all the security. They didn't pass any remarks on a child just walking in. I was an innocent little boy at the time and they didn't seem to see me as any kind of a threat. I managed to slip high the security at the time and to use the pope's private loo he had his own uh, private dressing
2: room and facilities in under the podium and that was built specially for him for the day because he had to
1: change all dressed out with the carpets and it was quite a nice little dressing room yeah and i do actually remember being quite taken back at the luxury of it it was very well equipped and very luxurious i do remember that quite clearly So he had to be scurried out just before the Pope arrived. I don't think he'd be allowed to do it today.
5: The Pope was running a bit late, although in the Phoenix Park, nobody seemed to mind.
2: (laughs) So it comes to half four, and everybody was looking up because they they all had radios, and he's left Phoenix Park. He's on the way. So this was tingling with excitement.
3: The Pope is moving northward
2: to the historic sea of our to kill a could see helicopters coming down and they landed just right beside the house. But it was the army, the wrong guy, you see next helicopter arrived down, it was the navy or somebody else anyway. No, this is the real one coming. No, it wasn't the real one coming. Eventually anyway. This is it, this is the one that's coming. And he, he, it was just surreal to see the helicopter hovering over the back of the house. We're there to meet him. And the helicopter lands and out comes, or not, I was going to say out hops the pope, out comes the pope from the helicopter.
3: And the music and the claws breaks out across the Boyne Valley and peals a new welcome. People here drawn from every part of a troubled north. A north that's known a decade of its own difficulties.
2: He's looking down at the 300,000 people. He says, I think we're in for a busy day here today. I said, we are, yeah. First of all, he introduced my wife, and uh, that's Paula, and she was a massive part of the uh, of the day. The twin girls were born that Easter, so they were six months old at this stage. So they were there to meet the Pope and to be blessed by him. And the two boys were there, Julian, who's aged four, and Edward, who's aged six. And then we introduced uh, my mother. And he said, between standing between Paula and my mother, he said, the lovely mother, you see? And later on that night, my mother said to Paula, that was very nice, the Pope, to say the lovely mother, talking about me. And Paula said, no, Mrs Grant, you're completely wrong there. It was actually me he was talking about. Well, the ding dong bell went on about this. No, Mrs. Grant, it was the the mother of the twins. No, Paul, it wasn't. It was the mother of Terry. No, it wasn't. Ding dong, ding dong. Anyway, they never solved that problem. They never solved it. So uh, my father said to the Pope, hey, "Would you have time to see around the farm?" That was a typical thing a farmer would say. Would you have time to see? And the Pope said to him. I'm afraid we're very busy today. We won't be, you'll be very busy today. Maybe another day. Of course, there was no element of walking around the farm. It was 300,000 people waiting for him.
7: Inanyem an Ahar, Agus an Wik, Agus an Spirit, Nayef. Yeah,
2: I'll show you, if the road, I'll show you where. they placed the, uh, the actual part of the podium and part of the uh, the cross.
5: The cross that was in Terry's field in 1979 is now a mile up the road at a commemorative monument. And people do leave their little souvenirs there.
2: They're the little sayings that you see there in the plaques, part and parcel of what he said when he was here. These are the little, little extracts from his speech.
7: Now, I wish to speak to all men and women... Engage in
2: violence. He appeals to all those who listen to him, to all who are discouraged after the many years of strife and violence and alienation that they attempt.
7: I appeal to, to you in. in language of passionate pleading. On my knees, I beg you to turn away from the path of violence. And to return to the ways of peace you may claim to seek justice
10: pure magic it's only way can describe pure magic it was a day that nobody will ever forget and um people still talk about it you know and remember going out in prams some of them now the mothers wheeled them out and uh, nobody cared about time nobody cared about anything
8: The sun was shining down straight and everybody was smiling.
5: Everybody.
8: I just love that smile the Pope has. He has a gorgeous smile. He's a lovely man.
5: The Pope spent about two and a half hours at Killiney, and delighted the crowds by touring through them in the Pope Mobile before heading off again in his helicopter.
2: Said goodbye to him, thank you very much. Uh, he thanked us into the helicopter and slowly but surely the helicopter and Blades started to go up and go, and he flew off and was waving at us.
8: I didn't like that part of it now. Like, we were still above in the field, and the helicopter was gone. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if any friend goes like that, you, you feel very uh, left alone. I don't mind him, but uh, the people. And then they grab flowers and Oh, pots. yeah, there, was, there
1: were souvenirs to be taken, like, you know. Oh,
8: no. It was an occasion. It was
1: a good occasion, Katie. <laughs>
10: I there wasn't a leaf of a flower left. Everything was gone. The way it was all, all round the altar was all done up in flowers and shrubs and uh, not one
2: leaf was left.
5: Even if they're all planted. Where? Did they pull them up? Yep.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep. Nothing left. And my father came over to me and he said to me, uh, Wowies, he said, There was some day in our lives. I said it sure was. My goodness," he says. "Imagine, imagine that actually happened to us. Yeah, it happened to all those three hundred thousand people as well. They every enjoyed it. God," he says. "You yeah, know, it's incredible how that happened." He said, "Tell me, how much did the ragwort cost to get cut?" I said, uh, "Should I told you that it was eight hundred pounds?" Well, he says, "Look," he says, "at the time I thought it was a bit of a rip off, but I think now it was the best money you ever spent." Well, I said, "I'm glad you think so now. At the time you didn't think so, but there you are now. That's look what it brought." But when we were leaving. They sang at the airport,
3: Will he no come back again? You know that song. He said to us, he said, Yes, I will come back to Ireland again, but only if I can visit Northern Ireland. Every time I have met him since I left Rome in 1987, he has said, I want to go back to Ireland. Get me back to Ireland. And after the peace process was signed, I went to Rome... And the very first thing the Holy Father said to me, I, before I even greeted him, he caught me by the hand and he said, the peace agreement is good. Now is the time to return and finish the work I began in Drogheda.
5: Of course, he never did return.
9: It probably could never, ever happen again, the way it did happen. It was a one-off event, really. You know, We we've never, we've never see it like that again around this part of the country.
5: If the visit from Pope Francis does happen, it will be different. But Father Cahill Devaney, for one, will be ready to welcome him to the north.
6: I think it would be wonderful. I I generally think the people in the north would be overjoyed, and I think um, people here certainly would be overjoyed as well.